0: Welcome to the SBCA podcast, Component Connection. Hello, my name is Sean Shields, and today I'll be your host for this SBCA podcast, looking at how component manufacturers around the country are innovating to take advantage of opportunities in today's market. My guest today is Don Groom, owner and CEO of TrustWorks in Caldwell, Texas. Don, thanks for joining us today.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Sean. I really appreciate the opportunity. You and I have talked for many years about... uh, getting together and doing an article or something like this. So I'm looking forward to this time. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I'm very excited to have uh, you part of this podcast today. You know, it makes me think we've come a long way since that day, many years ago, I took a picture of you walking in the streets of Washington, DC. You had your dark suit on, you looked really good, but you had those bright white sneakers uh, as you went to join all the members of Congress. And I remember you thinking very practically about this of like, You know, you really had to do a lot of walking every day as you traveled from the Senate side to the House side to to visit all your members of Congress. Uh, That's just one moment in sort of this long and remarkable career that you've had in the component manufacturing business. I wanted to start our podcast today to ask you a little bit about, um, you know, your career in component manufacturing from your start with Abner Yoder at Stark Trust and your journey up through starting Trustworks. Can you share a little bit? Absolutely,
1: and first of all, to clear the record on the bright white sneakers, I've often had to answer this question because it was a real funny thing back. I think it was two thousand four or five or somewhere around there. Um, You're exactly right. Anybody went to, you know, to Washington, they know there's a lot of time where you had a lot of walking to do. So I would put my dress shoes in my briefcase and put my tennis shoes on to make the walk, and then right before I went into the building. I would put my shoes on that are, you know, that were my dress shoes. So I didn't show up at the Congress meetings uh, with my tennis shoes on. By the way, so anyway, just to clear that up for the record. Good. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Really, my start in the trust industry uh, was with ABO, which was uh, in 1983. I'm from Maybank, Texas. My family's from Maybank, Texas, and. And I tra- I, My dad moved around a lot, but when I got out of high school, I moved back to my home area in Maybank, Texas, right out of high school in 1983, and um, ADO had a large trust facility in that town, and that's where I started. And I started catching webs on uh, web blocks and uh, floor trust webs uh, on, a, on a saw, and just kind of worked my way up to being a lead guy on the table. Actually, back then it was uh, it wasn't tables. It was Mark Eight, so we had to go in and press each joint. But I learned a lot. Uh, Tom Tom and Bart Wiley were tremendous entrepreneurs. Um, everybody that worked at ABO, I think without a question, people I've talked to will tell you that we learned how to build trusses correctly and and efficiently. And from from day one, I walked into a well managed well-organized. Wayne McDonald was a part of that group, and they taught me well. And um, I was fortunate that um, in 1985, the fall of 1985, I moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and went to a Bible college there called Raymo Bible Training Center, and started to work in a trust plant called Raywick Manufacturing through 85. And then in January of 1986, Stark Trust bought the Raywick manufacturing facility there in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, and I started working for Stark Trust and Abner Yoder. Uh, A year later, they decided to shut that particular plant down, and they asked me at that time to come to Canton, Ohio, after I graduated, which would have been the summer of 1987. They asked me to come to Canton, Ohio and be a part of their management training program. So. I did that, and thankfully was able to get to Canton, Ohio. Worked with Abner, and really just started as you know doing some design work. And then uh, they asked me uh, to take over the production plant in their Canton facility, which was a home office for a year. Uh, I did that, and then I went to Florida and ran the Sarasota plant for uh, a couple of years. And then Abner came back into the company and asked me to come back to Canton and to become the general manager, VP of operations for him. At that time, we had seven trust plants, and uh, and Abner wanted me to take that on. I look back on it now, and Abner took a chance on a, on a young kid that was, you know, at that time, 22 years old. By the time he asked me to actually come back and be the general manager and basically VP of operations, I was 26 years old. Uh, overseeing seven plants at the time, and uh, two in Florida, five in Ohio. And so just hit the ground running. Uh, Extremely fortunate to spend a lot of time with Abner, uh, personally and from the business. And he's no question my mentor when it comes to the business. I, I was able to talk to him about how he started the company, how he built the company, uh, what was his, what were the things he really focused on? Uh, and it just helped me uh, tremendously. Um, in 2009, uh, I uh, wanted to get back to Texas. That's where I was born and raised. And uh, as anybody knows, in 2009, uh, 10, those were very tough years. And uh, so I resigned from Stark. Uh, they put together a nice package for me and, and my family. And I was able to, you know, just kind of come to Texas and restart uh, in the industry. So had a little bit of time for about two and a half years in the turnkey world. Uh, learned a whole lot, learned a whole lot about how I wanted to get out of it <laughs> as fast as I could. Very, very, very difficult uh, business to, to master. And I just respect highly all the turnkey framing companies out there that have actually, you know, have actually done that well. It's just a very tough business. So in 2012, I went to work for Panel Trust and uh, with Donnie and Bo Powers and I uh, had a great uh, situation there. Uh, we grew, we expanded. Uh, we created a company that partnered with other companies, and one of those companies that we partnered with early in 2012 was TrustWorks. Uh, he was an owner, uh, entrepreneur, real good business guy, and uh, got to know him real well. And uh, so, as time progressed, my desire was to have something of my own uh, that me and my family could be involved in. In each, in Stark and in Panel, both companies gave us that opportunity, but it was just something I wanted a little bit more. I wanted to, I wanted to have ownership that was uh, significant, and uh, and I understood that uh, that wasn't something that you know that everybody would be okay with. So uh, the TrustWorks opportunity came up in late 2016 that the uh, the other partner wanted to buy out. Uh, Donnie and Bo or Truss Ops, which was me as well, and, and another partner. And I decided to take the opportunity to, to do it uh, with this partner. So so we did that in 2016, and it was actually finalized in 2017. And uh, that's kind of what my career's been.
0: Well, Don, that's quite the journey that you've been on so far. One thing that I'm curious about, uh, before we get into sort of the launching of TrustWorks and sort of what you went through there, when you came back to Texas uh, after working for Stark, uh, you said you got in the turnkey framing business. What led you to do that?
1: Well, I wanted to get to Texas and I talked to one of Stark's uh, largest customers, which is Contract Lumber, uh, based out of the Pataspa, Columbus area. Ohio, and I talked to the owner there, and he had a desire to come to Texas and, and basically start a turnkey operation, lumber yard, just like they do in the Midwest. And uh, so it kind of fit. And so I came down, and and again, it was in you know that 2009 2010. No, there was just nothing going on, and those things just didn't seem to fit. So I, I was able to connect with a framer locally called Maverick Framing, and I ended up joining up with him, working together, had some ownership in that, and it just didn't go well. It's just a very difficult time in the industry. And just a lot of things that, you know, that went uh, to the point where we just, it just, it wasn't the right timing. So then that's how I ended up getting into the turnkey. And I spent June of 2009 through uh, March of 2012, uh, you know, in the turnkey world per se.
0: Well, if anything, Don, it makes you greatly appreciate uh, what your customers' needs are as the component manufacturer, right?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It was a tough lesson. Um, I wouldn't encourage anyone to go through it that's been in the component industry. The framing industry is just a completely different challenge that I had tremendous respect for, which it ultimately led me to really uh, get involved and be one of the ones that kind of uh, spearheaded the National Framers Council, because I saw such a disconnect in between the, the component manufacturers where, I, where I'd spent my life, uh, my career in, and then what was actually going on on site. Um, it just, it opened my eyes and I was like, wow, there's such a huge disconnect here. And those, those, those people that work off site in all kinds of weather, You know, there's no lunchroom, you know, there's, you know, it's just a different environment. And they're managing multiple projects in multiple places. And they have to put all this together. It's a huge challenge. It's a huge challenge. And anything the component industry can do to help them with that challenge is is what I feel one of the things that we need to do as an industry more than anything, uh, is how can we, help the framers in the field do their jobs safely and efficiently. Anything the component industry can do to support that is so
0: important. So Don, speaking of challenges, again, in 2016, you decided to start a trust plant, which is kind of rare in this business. You know, was there a moment or um, something that prompted you to decide to do that? Or was it an idea that sort of developed over time?
1: Well, I think the first part of the, the moment that I knew that at someday I wanted to start something that uh, for myself and for my family was when my son, Justin, he was probably maybe six, seven years old. And I would brought a truck uh, to the house, uh, a Stark truss, straight truck. We had to move some stuff or something. And he saw the, the truss on there. And he looked at it and he said, and dad, dad, I want to drive that truck someday. And from that point on, I knew that I wanted to do something that was going to include my family, my two sons, my daughter, and of course, my wife. And so that was the beginning of it. And then over time, I admired so much what Abner had done. In 1963, He started Stark Trust. He provided so many people's jobs, uh, developed so many uh, people's families. You know, he did so many great things for not only the Stark Trust employees, but for the industry and for his personal and for his family. And I always admired that. And I always wanted that for my family. And so uh, that was the main, uh, the moment that prompted it. Uh, you know the thing with Justin, and then just admiring what Abner had done, and then going to see what uh, Donnie and Bo had done with their family. Uh, I've been fortunate to work for some really good family businesses, and I just wanted that for my family, and uh, so that's what really drove me to, to this point.
0: So you decide to take on the ultimate challenge: starting your own business in the trust industry. You, of course, were a veteran at that point. Uh, You had run a lot of different trust operations. But what did you know um, that you needed to do in order to successfully start this business? What were the things that you sort of had on your list of like, okay, I have to do X, Y, and Z? Share with me, what were some of the things that you knew you had to do? And how did you do them?
1: Yeah, the first thing, uh, you know, normally in most situations when you're looking to start a trust company is you got to have sales. So we had sales. We had a really one really good account at TrustWorks, and we had a lot of other uh, customers that we we had already developed over. Uh, actually, TrustWorks started in 2007, so it had been around almost 10 years by the time that we actually uh, bought it from Panel Trust TrustOps. Uh, so we had the sales. We had a great sales team. We had a great design team. And we had a good customer, uh, and we had several good customers. So the initial challenge for me wasn't sales; it was trying to get it built as fast as we could. So the first step was I had to get a building, and it had to be close enough to our labor force, which was in College Station. So we had to find a building and land that was, you know, that was going to work uh, for what we needed. So we were fortunate; the city of Caldwell had. You know, the building and the land's available. Uh, It wasn't the city of Caldwell, but but I called the city, talked to them. They said, hey, there's somebody that's moving out right now. I mean, just so happened, it was just a perfect time. So we were able to secure the building and land uh, quickly. And then the next challenge was, even though we had a trust company, we didn't have any saws at the time. We were actually buying cut material. From panel trust. So we, we had to go get saws. So that was my first next step. And then um, needed to buy additional press power. Of course, we didn't have enough money to buy anything new. So I had to figure out how to get equipment in used and try to make it work. And we had to make it work quickly. And during this time frame, we had sales that needed to get built while I was putting the trust plan in and uh, no Tech Trust, actually one of our competitors, helped me, uh, which I will never forget. Uh, their generosity—they stepped in and and helped me, and uh, I can't say enough about that. That was a whole other uh, thing that happened there that was huge for us during that you know three or four month period where we were trying to gear up to be able to do it ourselves. So you know when I worked for Stark. Uh, yeah, we always had lumber buyers, so I never bought lumber. Didn't know anything about who to call or anything, really. Uh, and then at panel, Donnie always bought the lumber, so I never had any uh, need to get involved in that. But I quickly found that, okay, that fell on my plate, too, you know, that I had to find somebody I can talk to to buy lumber. So I had a lot of different people that, that helped me through that process. and. Uh, and a lot of guys that I've that I've known over the years in the SBCA, I called for their advice. Uh, Stark Trust, uh, which has a wholesale company called Stark Forest, they helped me a lot. Uh, and I made a phone call to a good friend of mine in Dallas um, that uh, that I knew over a long period of time, and he told me you need to call this guy, and the guy's name was Charlie Blakemore. Uh, he was 80 at the time; he's 83 now. He's been buying Yellow Pine Lumber for, for decades, and he took me on as an account. They didn't even ask me for any financial information. Uh, they said they just started selling me lumber and gave me great terms and, and just helped me tremendously uh, and still do to this day. I talk to Jeff Charlie every every day, and he's 83 now and still buying lumber. <laughs> amazing. Absolutely amazing. Uh, The equipment side, the first call I made to get the saws was to Mike Johnson from Alpine. Just so happened he was just replacing a a complete saw, a bunch of different saws in, in a plant in Florida. He connected me there. So I bought all the saws I needed from a guy in Florida that was upgrading his saws. So I bought his used saws. Mike Johnson was a huge help. To me, uh, there, Jim Mavarakis from WoodTech Systems helped us a lot with finding pieces and parts of equipment that we needed. Again, we we had to buy used. We just didn't we didn't have the money to go out and buy buy new. And I knew from my experience, keep your overhead low, early, work hard, make some money, put some get a good cash position, then you can enjoy the the pretty things. The things that can that can enhance your business and make you a little bit more efficient and fine tuned, but when you don't have the cash, um, you, you just got to do what you got to do, you know. So that's kind of the things that clipped off, uh, you know, early on. Just looked at you know the things that I absolutely had to have, and if I didn't absolutely have to have it, we didn't do it. So uh, that's how we started.
0: I'm curious. Did you have sort of a a production capacity goal in mind? Like you knew based on the market that you were starting in and the customers that you already had, but the ones that you knew you could go after, you sort of knew what you needed to be able to do? Or did you try to have more capacity than that? Or as you said, start small and build from there. What was your thinking there?
1: We had a pretty good idea of where we needed to get to and what our capacity needed to be. So that led us to what kind of equipment we needed, how many presses we needed and, and that kind of thing again we already had a baseline of business and we knew what we were we knew our goal was to add to that so we wanted to hit you know to cover our baseline and then have about at least 30 percent more capacity uh, in what we because we knew we were going to add accounts. Uh, from where we were. So.
0: Okay, so that's what you knew you needed uh, getting into it. Once trust work starts, uh, you know, getting underway. What did you learn that you didn't think about, probably beyond the lumber buying aspect of it, that you uh, suddenly needed to come up with answers for? Uh,
1: biggest thing, two things. One, buying the used equipment and getting it installed. That was the biggest challenge I was used to at start. We had a whole team that did that. So if me and Javin and Steve and Abner decided and Tom Palata decided we're going to put a trust plan in wherever, and we had a whole team of guys that did all of that, you know, all our, what I did was made sure that, you know, that we had the staffing and, and the sales and, and I would just show up and all the equipment's in and, Everything's done, you know, and same thing with panel. Panel had a really good program with that, so I never had faced that in my career, never realized how big a challenge it was. And again, very fortunate, uh, Doc Watson was available, which he's hardly ever available, <laughs> you know. And I called him and he jumped on it and helped me tremendously and you know, just took care of me. I mean, that's all I can say. Without him. Getting involved, uh, you know, we'd have figured it out somehow, but it's a big challenge. Getting equipment in, getting it installed, uh, getting it up and running, uh, troubleshooting it. I mean, it's a major challenge. Um, The second thing that I had never really dealt with at all was managing cash flow. Had never done that. At Stark, I didn't didn't worry about cash flow. I mean, it, it was well established in 1987 when I came to work for them. I never had to worry about, do I buy a half a truck, a quarter truck of plates? No, you buy a full truck. You just never had to worry about, okay, well, that bill's going to come in. Am I going to have cash to pay for that? (laughs) Same way with lumber. You know, I just never, I never had been involved in that. So again, as an owner, uh, I grabbed that myself with my wife and my wife did all the accounting and still does all the accounting, Uh, she has got a lot of help now. But, um, you know, we're, we're working with different people and build you know, we got a a guy that we're, that we're working with that's going to become our CFO and is our CFO. Uh, but my wife is still involved, but in the early, in the very beginning, it was, it was her, we shared an office and we looked at the bank account every morning and we looked at the bills and I would approve the bills to be paid. Uh, thankfully we never missed a bill within, uh, the terms. And we always, we always managed it well. Uh, cause, and I managed the, how much lumber we bought, how much plates was I able to buy, you know, just managing that cash flow was just critical that I had never done. Uh, but fortunately, you know, through just having to do it, uh, we were able to get through it and, uh, it worked well. So, You know, we feel like we're on the other side of that now, Uh, but in this industry, you never can let up. Uh, You know, you let up for any length of time and it'll jump on you so fast that you'll just be wondering how in the heck did this happen, you know?
0: I think that ties into sort of uh, risk management too, right? Um, When you're having to think about Uh, That cash flow on a daily basis, you're also thinking about what risk are you exposing yourself to? Because you're intimately aware that you can or can't afford a certain amount of um, liability if something goes wrong, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. We put in immediately day one when we started in Caldwell, we put in a very uh, tight risk management policy. I was fortunate that my uncle uh Ron Groom that had worked at Stark for probably 20 years. Um he was the uh general manager of finance and accounting but and and then uh the risk management side fell under uh Mike Dyer at Stark and there again uh they helped me a ton. Uh I I asked them if they would be open to helping me with their monthly safety programs they send out and and just give me advice. And Mike Dyer, Steve Yoder, Javen, everybody at Stark said absolutely helping. Uh, so I had that resource that a lot of people don't have, but I'm thankful for that. Uh, that helped us tremendously early on. That I wasn't having to pay a risk manager, so to speak. Now we have our own guy that's you know that's fully focused on that. But early on, I got help from people that I know. Uh, very blessed that they helped me.
0: So I'm just curious um do you have a memory was there a moment where um maybe you and your wife were sitting there going like is this going to work like what are we doing here kind of thing or do you feel like um you were always sort of being able to tread water with your head above above the the surface
1: No I absolutely I remember exactly and it just wasn't one moment there was a lot of moments uh early on getting started in- 2017, the lumber market starts to run in 2017, about the same day <laughs> that we start building trusses in Caldwell. And, uh, so our pricing wasn't, uh, wasn't set for that. Didn't see it. I was being told that it was going to, you know, it was going to start running. Uh, but I didn't know for sure. So I, you know, there was a moment there in middle of 2017 that I didn't think we were going to make it, uh, just thought there's just no way the numbers don't work. You know, we're selling for this and here's what we're paying for lumber. I mean, it's simple math and um, and the numbers just didn't work. And somehow, some way through a lot of relationships and and people helping us and, you know, we got through 2017 and then 2018, it ran through the roof. And again, just somehow, some way, Uh, You know, just keeping your head down, working hard, looking at every single thing uh, that you're doing on a daily basis from, I mean, every line item on the financial statement. That's one thing Abner Yoder taught me that I will never forget. He told me, he said, focus on every line item. If you can save a tenth of a percent on all those line items that are on that financial statement, that all drops to your bottom line. So he said, you got, you know, all these different line items and you save a tenth. you add all those up and it makes money, you know, and uh, it's simple. That was Abner. He was very simple. It's just simple business that I'll never forget. And so that's what I focused on. I focused on the things that I could control. Lumber market, I can't control, but I can control pricing. I can control our production. Uh, labor I can control all the other line items on that financial statement. I can change those if I focus on them. so that's what I did to get through
0: excellent so you know that piece of advice that you mentioned from Abner I'm curious now that you've gone through uh this process of of starting your own company and getting it through some difficult start uh times and uh now you feel like you're Starting to get on the other side of it. What, what advice would you give to others in the industry who might be in the similar situation as you are, of they're looking to one day maybe strike out on their own and, and start a trust, Pam?
1: Get ready. The first one is get ready to work harder than you've ever worked in your life. Uh, that's a misconception of people like I was. You know, I ran companies, I did these things in my career. But until your name is on the bank and everything you got, if the thing doesn't work, you don't have nothing. You know, I always felt like I ran every company feeling that way. But I found out that I felt like I did, but it just gets a little tighter when it's your name on the line by yourself. With I had two other partners, but I still had my share that I was responsible for. So, working harder than I've ever worked before without question, and then drawing on the relationships that I've built over years. We're talking about, you know, now it's 30, 30 something years. Um, Actually, it's longer than that. It's 37 years since I first walked into the trust plan in May of 1983. And it's so important that in your career, in your lifetime, I would tell a young person always, Always be a good friend in this industry. Uh, Do your best to help wherever you can, help everybody that you can, um, and it will pay off for you because it's definitely paid off for me. Uh, The relationships I've built over the years paid off for me. When I needed the help, the help was there. And uh, from all sides, from vendors' relationships to to friendships that I could just call and ask anybody in the, in the United States. Because of my involvement with SPCA, I could call anybody and ask them for anything. i, I never forget one of the things that was a blessing to me is Joe Heichel. Uh, everybody, a lot of people know Joe. He's up, up in Maryland. And um, he called me. He said, hey, I've got a saw. I've heard you looking for one. I'm getting ready to replace it. And man, if you need it, I will give you a great deal on it. And uh, I didn't end up going that route because, like I said earlier, right after that, I'd bought that whole, all those saws from one location and and they all matched. Uh, So I didn't want to bring in another saw that didn't match what we were doing. But it just the thought of that meant a lot. Uh, So anyway, just be ready to work as hard as you've ever worked. Draw on every relationship you've built over the years for guidance and support. And, um, and you'll have to draw on uh, every experience you've had in your life to get through it. I mean, everything I've ever been through in any business, it helped me survive uh, these last few years. Uh, so that would be my my advice, uh, would, would be those three things.
0: Excellent. Don, you have mentioned repeatedly throughout this podcast, uh, the relationships that you've built uh, in the industry over your years. And I think you you said it really well. Um, you know, your mentality has always been be the best friend you possibly can be help out, you know, look for opportunities to help out and help out every way you can. <clears throat> and that it sounds like that certainly paid dividends to you in the end, right? It, you've been able to develop those relationships. I certainly have never talked to anybody who doesn't say something uh, very good about you, Don. Uh, And it's because of that approach. I'm curious, uh, you certainly benefited from that as well um, throughout your career of other people looking for ways to help you, give you advice, that kind of thing. Um, Anybody stand out? from the industry that not necessarily like, you know, you've mentioned Abner a few times, not necessarily somebody that has employed you, but another component manufacturer in another part of the country uh, that maybe gave you some advice that really helped you in your business that you could share?
1: Sure. Um, I thought about this, you know, a lot. There's so many people uh, I could list and hate to leave anybody out. But the one person that stands out to me is Mike Reedy. And the reason for that is early on, I started on the board in 19, I think 1996. Um, I got to know Mike within a few years, got to you know, spend some time on some committees with him, got to talk to him a lot. And one of the things he instilled in me early with the SPCA, back then it was WTCA, was strong industry means a strong company. If I could say one thing that changed my career thought process, was that. And he made that very clear, is that industry has to come first before your own company. And that's a hard thing to grasp in a lot of cases. But his point was, when you do that work and you do it well, your company will be strong. And he's absolutely right. And that, to me, was one of the biggest things. Again, I could, there's a lot of guys that have been an impact on me over the years. But Mike's commitment to the industry was the thing that made me think, okay, this isn't just about star trusts or panel trusts or Trustworks. works. This is about the industry. And if we make a strong industry, then we'll have strong companies. And so uh, Mike was definitely the biggest influence on my industry view.
0: That's great, Don. Um, so I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you one last question here. Um, when you look uh, at this idea of, you know, improving the industry and, um, you know, and that, that benefiting, you know, your company in the end uh, and everybody else's company what would be one thing that you would identify that you would love to change about the industry uh, that would improve everybody's business in your mind?
1: I think, you know, for me, uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is, uh, is the relationship with the installers. That we have to build that uh, to be successful. Because at the end of the day, if all of us are islanding to ourselves and we're all doing our own thing, at the end of the day, this stuff has to get put up. It has to be built in the field. It has to be framed. And to change the industry and to get more and more components in the industry to help the framers do their jobs better. So your wall panel offerings, all the things that, that our industry can do and do very effectively, we have to have the framing community engaged. And the one thing that I'm passionate about in this industry to change it, to be the best that it possibly can be, we have to embrace the framing community at every level. If they're building a single family house, a multifamily project, a commercial project, we need to be hand in hand with the framing community to ensure that that's being done the most efficient way so that our products can be used to house people and they can afford to buy those properties and they can afford to rent those properties. If our efficiencies don't improve over time, then what we ultimately do is make it to where people can't afford to rent or to purchase homes. So our goal has to be in our industry hand in hand with the framing community and working together to efficiently produce every single product that goes into a house or or project. So that would be the thing that I see the most opportunity to do that would enhance our industry.
0: Excellent. Don, it has been so great having you um, share your insight and perspectives with us today. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank
1: you son. I appreciate it very much.
0: Uh, I'd also like to thank our listeners today for spending this time and hopefully getting some insight from uh, Don on how to capitalize on today's market, how to improve the industry and how to potentially one day launch your own company. Thank you for listening to SBCA's podcast, Component Connection. We are committed to bringing you a variety of information via this podcast. Please email your feedback or suggestions for future topics to podcast at